Welcome to the Global Venturing Review Leadership Series, where we talk to thought leaders from corporate and university venturing to find out more about how they are changing the world. In today's episode, we turn back the clock to our first digital forum in June for a talk by DLA Piper's Mark Ratcliffe, who is joined by Eric Goldberg to talk about the duties of board directors in the context of a financially distressed company. Tickets for our Digital Forum 2.0 on September 29th are on sale now. And if you're interested in joining us, go to gcvdigitalforum.com to buy your ticket. Get 20% off if you register by September 20th. And now, over to Mark and Eric. Hello, my name is Mark Radcliffe, and I'm the global chair of the corporate venture capital practice at DLA Piper. We have the largest corporate venture capital practice in the world. Uh, for those of you not familiar with PLA Piper, we're a global law firm with offices in over 40 countries, with over 4,200 lawyers. And the Corporate Venture Capital Group has lawyers in Russia, Germany, France, the UK, Brazil, um, Australia, Japan, China, who are experienced in corporate venture capital and who can assist you. And As the startup ecosystem grows in other areas, the breadth of our practices proved useful to our clients. We, I've been doing corporate venture capital for over 20 years now, and I work closely with many of my colleagues in other jurisdictions to uh, make sure that we understand best practices. And for those of you who are interested, we are going, we have a course on best practices for board members and board directors which is online, which you can uh, take, and over 20 corporate venture capitals have taken that course. This video is going to focus on the duties of board directors in the context of a financially distressed company because your fiduciary duties change. But the uh, just as a reminder, board members have fiduciary duties. They're the highest duties imposed by law. There are two basic fiduciary duties, the duty of care and the duty of loyalty. This video will be focused on how those duties change and when they change in the context of a financially distressed company. So I want to introduce my partner, Eric Goldberg, who has been working in restructuring for over 25 years. He's very experienced in this area, and he's helped me with companies that are financially distressed. And sometimes it's not just financially distressed, but it's maybe companies that have been existing on convertible notes for a long time, don't have revenue, and therefore are in the insolvency area, which means that the duties have shifted. But let's first of all talk a little bit about the trigger for this change in duties I should also note that this trigger will vary state by state, and we're going to focus on Delaware since virtually all venture-backed startups are incorporated in Delaware, and the rules also may be different in other jurisdictions. So, Eric, what's the trigger for this shift in fiduciary duties in Delaware? The, the trigger is insolvency. Now, recall that the fiduciary duties are always the same. What what changes is the parties to whom those duties are owed. So once a company becomes insolvent, what changes is not the duties themselves, but the fact that those duties now are owed not just to shareholders, but upon insolvency also to creditors. So once the company becomes insolvent, the duty is owed to the, the universe of shareholders 
and creditors, not one or the other, but both together. The duty there being to maximize the value of the enterprise for all of those constituents. So then the question naturally follows, well, when am I insolvent? And there's three tests that courts apply in determining when a company is insolvent. The first is the balance sheet test. Obviously, very simple. Company is insolvent on a balance sheet basis whenever the fair value of the assets is less than the amount of the liabilities. Simple balance sheet test at market value. The other test that courts apply is the cash flow test. You can have a company that may be very solvent on a balance sheet basis, but highly liquid such that it doesn't have the ability to meet its obligations as they come due. If that occurs, that you don't have sufficient liquidity to meet your obligations as they mature, then that company is, balance, is I'm sorry, cash flow insolvent or equitably insolvent, it's sometimes referred to. Third test, less frequently applied because it's a little bit fuzzier, is the inadequate capitalization test. That is, does a company have sufficient capital to operate in the business that it, it chooses to operate in? So for example, you could have a company that might be very solvent on a balance sheet basis. It's got a very valuable asset worth more than its liabilities. It could be meeting its obligations as they come due, but still it could be so thinly capitalized that it doesn't have enough of a ca an equity base or cushion to deal with any unforeseen circumstances as they arise. So for, for purposes of fiduciary duty, if a company becomes insolvent under any one of those tests, then that is the point at which the duties shift and the directors now owe their duties, not just to the shareholders, but also to creditors. Uh, thank you very much. That was very helpful. What I do want to emphasize here is, although I think many board members understand insolvency when a company is running out of money, one other area that's very important and perhaps less thought about is issues where a company is surviving on convertible notes. And I had one situation where a company had a series of convertible notes over a two-year period, and we brought Eric in a couple of times when they were at the point of making critical decisions to remind them about the nature of their fiduciary duties and how these uh, decisions would be affected by those that shift in the fiduciary duties. And so I think that is an important point that you need to not only bring in appropriate specialists when you're making some of these major decisions about whether to take equity capital, what are the terms of the equity capital, or maybe even taking additional debt, but also that you document that. I think it's very important from a, a duty of care point of view that you document it. And then, as Eric will discuss, how you make those decisions can be important from a duty of loyalty point of view. So, Eric, what are the three major mistakes that companies make in this context? The first most common, I think, is ignoring the, the issue of independence and conflicts of interest. Recall that part of a director's duty uh, of, of loyalty and duty of independence is to make sure that they are acting in an impartial manner, not designed or not in any way influenced by their personal interests. One of the things I see fairly common is that directors are not sufficiently formal with regard to conflicts of interest, meaning that they often assume everybody knows what the conflicts are and there's nothing special that needs to be done as long as people understand them, but also that they're not documented. You need to be very careful to document in your meetings what the conflicts are, when people are recused, what you are doing to accommodate that conflict. For example, are those who do have a, a conflict or a potential conflict, 
Are they being recused from decisions? Uh, there should be a special committee formed to make decisions. And then the record needs to accurately reflect that those people were recused and that an independent committee was formed. It may be understood at the time things happen that uh, maybe you, you asked people who had a conflict to recuse themselves from a particular vote. But often bankruptcy is a forensic process and you, you get into a lot of situations that I've seen where you're looking into a transaction retrospectively, maybe something that a, a board considered two years ago. And at that point, it may not be clear from the people reviewing the minutes or reviewing the other board materials that were considered who was uh, recused and why. So you want to have a very clear record and you want to have everything out on the table about what conflicts and potential conflicts exist. The, the second most common one, I think, is what I call missing the turn. We talked a few minutes ago about when a company becomes insolvent. And I think there is a tendency as, as a, the financial condition of a company deteriorates to take things in a, in a gradual step-by-step -step approach. And maybe you miss that turn. You miss the point where the company does become insolvent. And it's important. It's never going to be marked. It's never going to be lit. There's never going to be a big warning light. But you constantly need to have the board be aware of what these duties are and when they change and what the triggers are for the change so that when that turn happens, when a company becomes insolvent, the board is prepared for it. The board has received advice about what that shift means and how their duties change so that they can act appropriately going forward. The third one is one that happens just about in every case, and that's waiting too long. Waiting too long to either bring in professionals to, to help advise the company and dealing with what its options are in insolvency, and also waiting too long to have a plan B. So that if, let's say, a company is working on a rescue financing or a sale, and you're counting on that transaction to happen, you need to think about what's going to happen if that strategy can't be executed. If the buyer doesn't materialize, if the new financing doesn't appear, it's not, it's not acting in accordance with your fiduciary duties to wait until the, the bad thing happens to plan the alternative. You have to always have a plan B and you have to think carefully about when it is that you'll have to pivot. At some point, every startup is going to start to run out of money and the company has to be prepared so that when the main strategy can't be completed, let's say that new financing or a sale, that the company still has sufficient resources in terms of time and in terms of money to be able to execute on its plan B. If the sale isn't going to happen, is plan B a wind down? Is plan D, plan B is a sale of certain assets? Is plan B some sort of bankruptcy filing? In each case, each of those things takes time in order to plan for, in order to execute, and it's going to take cash to hire professionals, to maintain your payroll, and to do all the things that you need to do to make sure you have the runway to execute on that plan. And again, directors would be ignoring their fiduciary duties if they waited until the last minute to bring those things about. So the most common mistake in my experience is when companies give me a call and it's almost too late to do anything about it. They're out of time and they're out of money, both things that can be avoided. So Eric, one good point that you've made in our discussions about this is many of these actions are going to be judged post hoc. So two years later, the company's in bankruptcy or it's going through a state proceeding called an assignment for benefit of creditors. And it's at that point that the judgment is made about the actions of the board members. And once again, with perfect information, that judgment could be different than would seem reasonable at the time you're going through this. So I think it's very important for people to, as Eric said, document this, be clear 
about conflicts of interest and perhaps use special committees in, in order to insulate the board from risk. Thank you very much, Eric. I hope this was helpful to people, and we look forward to exploring this issue in more detail during the digital forum. Thank you. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.